You're listening to WEHC 90.7. This is Art Speaks. Art Speaks is a show from the William King Museum of Art that features different artists and art happenings in our region every week. I'm your host, Charlotte Torrance, and I'm here today with Brian Surway. Whoop, whoop. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Charlotte. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Uh, it's it's interesting to be back in this building. I, I haven't been in here in, in a couple of years, and so, I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling a little little older and wiser, so that's that's good. We'll see if the interview reflects that. But <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. We'll find something from your college days oh, to oh, Lord, compare please it don't. against. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are talking about you and your work as an artist. So how would you describe yourself as an artist? Maybe first in, in one word and then okay. in a sentence. Um, in a word. I, I, I'm so bad at describing myself because I feel like no matter what I say, it's going to sound like pretentious or silly. Um, ethereal? Ooh. We'll use that word. I like That's a good answer. Yeah. Or ephemeral. Ephemeral. Those are both cool words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in a sentence, uh, this isn't really going to be a sentence, more like a micro tangent, but I uh, am very influenced by this region and nature and fauna and flora in this region. And so my art is kind of a reflection of the mystical qualities that I perceive in Appalachia, my own Tolkien Lord of the Rings verse of what Appalachia is to me and how I perceive just the world, but more specifically nature and time and growth and decay and that sort of thing in, you know, the literary and like the philosophical sense. So it comes from culture and it comes from the physical nature of the region yeah. kind of simultaneously. So. How long have you been a practicing artist? Pretty pretty close to right outside the womb. My mom was an artist, um, and I she was a single mom, and I, I looked up to her. She was my hero, and so I always kind of emulated her as a kid, and I always had uh, you know paint supplies around me. I, I probably started doing it you know as a hobby when I was like three or four years old, and then in my teenage years, I kind of went on and off with it. But pretty much all my life, I've been doing it professionally for five years. But yeah, yeah. So what is it like being a professional artist? What does that mean, that elusive uh, the, the only, The only – it's my main source of income. That's that's the only way I can probably say it in the, the most deaf way. But uh, yeah, it's it's been very strange. I mean uh, primarily because of social media and just you know a lot of luck and a lot of persistence and, and stubbornness. But – yeah, I've been very fortunate and I've tried to maintain kind of all the things that are you have to consider on a day-to-day basis to like make your dream be a reality and and keep it keep it that way, but um I I'm trying to, you know, kind of break outside that shell more and more as I get deeper and deeper into it, but uh yeah, it's I'm just I'm just happy to be here, you know. <laughs> so we're listening to 90.7. This is Emory and Henry's radio station, and you are an alumnus, alumni. I alumnus. am. What is alumni? Alumnus? I think alumnus is the singular. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that mm-hmm. sounds fancier. Let's use that. Yeah. Um, yes. Graduated in spring of 13. I've stayed in the, the region uh, since I graduated, bounced around between 
Roanoke and Johnson City and Bristol and Abingdon, and I live in Johnson City now, but I haven't been back here in a while, so it feels kind of surreal, but I, I've kept in touch with a lot of my friends that I graduated with from here, and a lot of them have stayed around here, so it's it's cool to feel like that part of your life is you know still with you in a way, but also I feel like a completely different person than the person I was when I graduated from here. Because sometimes I have to remind myself, oh, oh yeah. Like when I pulled into here an hour ago, I was like, where? It just feels, I don't know. This place has grown so much since I left that I, I like barely recognize it. It feels like a dream. I already feel that with my own alma mater. Oh yeah. It's it's uh, the beginning of the school year yeah. and all there. Um, when you're an alumna, it might be alumna or alumnus, I'm not that sure. That sounds cool. When you're an alumnot, we can say that. Um, <laughs> you follow all the alum, alumni organizations yeah. and they post all these like move-in day pictures. And there's yeah. this new building that I've never even seen in person at my yeah. college. Yeah. And all these kids look so young. Yeah. But I don't look different. I, I look the same. They look younger now. Oh, I know. And my, my, my stepson, he just started high school. And he's my height. And I'm like, who am I? Like, it's just weird. And I look at him and I'm like, I guess I looked like that when I was in ninth grade. I don't really know. I don't know if I ever did. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> so when you started at Emory and Henry, looking exactly as you do now. At oh, yeah, age, totally. totally. Um, were you thinking, all right, I'm here to be a professional artist? God, no, no. Okay, um, so what's the backstory? How did we get here? Uh, so... I um I had a, a few friends in in my neighborhood in Roanoke that went to Emory and Henry and I I was really determined to go to Virginia Tech when I was in high school and uh I went to community college for a few years and that that was kind of my sole intention and then they were like we'll just check out Emory and Henry and I I drove down here and I met a couple more people and you get whisked up in that like Oh well, this you know this has a cool little culture, and it's not as like daunting as a, a huge college. And I met some of the professors, and at the time I was really interested in political science, and I was watching cable news and the Daily Show every night, and I was like really wanting to become like a political strategist or like run for local politics myself. And and so I I studied poli sci here, and I I loved it, and I, I you know it's still a passion of mine, but it kind of got to tune out a little bit of it to maintain my sanity now. <laughs> but um, I fell in love with just the small class sizes. And there was a lot more to get a grip around at a small college than there was at a, you know, just large. And I get I get a little bit socially anxious. And like, it felt just a lot more down to earth for me. And I got um, interested in the garden program. And I worked there uh, in the garden a lot. And there's like in the in the nature quality, like I love hiking, the you know, the the different clubs and it just felt like a lot more paced uh and I was a neurotic kid so it just it, it made me like feel a little bit more grounded going here are you from this region I'm from Roanoke originally I, I've lived all over um when my parents got divorced when I was young I lived in Florida for a while and then I moved back up here because I I love mountains far more than beaches personally but um yeah I uh, I spent the majority of my life like between Virginia and Tennessee Cool. Yeah, I've I've heard people say um, when it comes to colleges like big or small, yeah, like if you're in a big group or in a big city, a big place, you'll like 
seek out and find people who are the same as you. Oh, right. Because yeah, there will sure. be some of them because there are so many people. For sure. And then when you put yourself into a smaller group in a smaller environment, you're going to make friends with people who are different from you because that's the only people who are there. Yeah, exactly. And that can both can actually be a good thing. It depends on the person and what you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I lived in Florida, like I met so many people that were completely different from me just because of, you know, the cultural difference and the, you know, ethnic makeup of, of Florida is so different than it is up here. And I, I'm so grateful for that and, and being here and meeting people that were so different from me. I think that's, I mean, it's, it seems very generic, but that's probably the best takeaway I can have from college is the abundance of differing philosophies and opinions that make up who you are in very unexpected ways. So I always like to assume we have college listeners. Yeah. On the radio sure. because we're at a college station, sure. although we don't we don't know who you reach when you throw yeah, things yeah. out into the sound waves. But I think it's a good message kind of for kids right now. I say kids, yeah. college kids, yeah. young adults. You're studying something you're passionate about and just the that studying itself sometimes mm-hmm. isn't going to guarantee what your entire life path is gonna look like. Yeah. But at the same time it's gonna help you turn into the person you're gonna be. Oh yeah. Which will be a different person than you are now. Sure. Sure. I just know it will be. You know, I know a lot of people, uh, especially in 2022, like are kind of more disillusioned with the idea of college. But I think for me, if I didn't have it, I don't think I would professionally be where I'm at now because it, it gave me a lot of different insights and made me grow up a lot faster than I probably would have without it. Um, and, you know, it's just it, it puts you in a in a uh, like a forced life position where you are you have to maintain a lot of structure, which is necessary for being an adult, and it, but yet you still have enough of a, a leash to experiment and try new things out, and I think that's good too. Yeah, go to college, we say the college Go to kids. college, go to college. Yeah, yeah. Don't be disillusioned. If you're in college, <laughs> don't think you made the wrong decision. I'm sure you'll get something out of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it works out. Yeah. So outside of kind of your, your start at Emory & Henry mm-hmm. and growing up in this region, um, I kind of have a two-part question. Yeah. One is like, is there anything that comes to mind that from your time living here that mm-hmm. influences the way that this region and culture kind of seep into your artwork? Oh, yeah. And um, at the same time, like, how did you end up in your current style? Because your current style is very recognizable. If oh, thank you. Well, I, look uh, it up. <laughs> I, I, I like to hear that. That's mm-hmm. that's cool. Because I, I remember when I was younger, like I, you know, when you're first starting out as an artist, I think you, people are myself very much included are like way too obsessed with like finding their style. And they like kind of they, it, it kind of makes them neurotic in all the wrong ways. And it's like the, the key to that is really just to do it all the time. And it just kind of naturally happens. I mean, I know that sounds like a silly answer, but really like, so when I graduated from here, I, uh, I did a year in AmeriCorps and I worked for Appalachian Sustainable Development in Abingdon. And I was kind of like thrust out into the world in terms of like, I did a lot more, uh, you know, I was outside a lot more. I was doing, you know, a a sustainable garden program. And like, I was just kind of, my fingers were in the dirt more. So I just, I had like a much more uh, tangible connection to nature because I was outside all the time and I would, I hiked a lot more. And so I kind of just got romantically swept up in this region's beauty. And like, I, it, it never dawned on me. I always have loved animals and I've always loved being able to like put humanistic emotional qualities into animals. There's not like a specific person in mind. It's kind of at a distance where it's like, oh, that's a cat. It has this quality to it that makes me feel this. 
I, I've always been like attached to that, but I, I've always viewed uh, this region um, through the lens of my grandmother who helped raise me, and she's from West Virginia, and she was very... Uh, very not mystical, but she believed in ghosts, and she like she was terrified of Mothman because she was from West Virginia, and so like she would tell me all these awesome kooky stories, and like just growing up, I learned all these very quirky vocabulary words that only come out of like uh, where she was from, and and Tipper Holler in West Virginia, and it's just like I, I got fascinated with just the the dialect of of this region, and you know being from it, but also living in Florida for a very long time, I kind of like lost my Southern accent. But when I'm around my family, it like comes back tenfold. But um, I got very obsessed with like the history of this region, but also just kind of like. I don't know really how to describe it, just kind of like the, uh, you know, when you go into like a town that's an abandoned coal mining town that's not been, you know, functioning for like, you know, tens and tens of years, there's this haunting quality to it, but also this feeling of like nature has kind of taken back over and this place is kind of beyond time. It just feels like it just feels like as old as time. There's just like this weird quality to it. And I that type of emotional tenor has just always resonated with me and I've kind of tried to like put that in my artwork and I know that's a very weird romantic thing to say but that's kind of what guides me in a lot of ways like when I'm creating work it's just kind of this timeless cosmic quality to substance quality to thing it's very subjective and it's very personal but that's where it comes from yeah I can understand that and it's it's to describe the work it's like I would describe it and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, no, I want to like, hear it. <laughs> creepy. Yeah. And dark. Yeah. And like very black. Yeah. And very, and there's like, you do a lot of these animals with um, eyes that are in a, in like a metallic color. Mm -hmm. So they look like the literal reflecting eyeballs. Yeah. Like that's exactly what I'm going for. I'm glad you, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. of like looking Ta out. Tapper lucidium, I think is how you pronounce it. It's like that reflective mm -hmm. quality in animals' eyes. Yeah. It's like the moment you notice something just is star has been staring mm -hmm. at you. Like taking a snapshot. In taking the dark. a snapshot. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the dark of it looking straight at you. And so when you talk about like Appalachia, um, about the nature, it's mm -hmm. so like, romanticized. Mm -hmm. So why is it also scary? I, I, a lot of people throw around the word creepy, cute. I, 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 that's very overused, but I, it does definitely describe. I like, I kind of like having this juxtaposition of something feeling like off-putting because it's unknown, but also familiar because it's like, well, I know what that is. Why does it look like that? And it's kind of like an emotional tenor of if you were like walking around in the woods at night, hit your flash button and you like just saw a bunch of eyes looking back at you. It's kind of like what is going on in the darkness that you can't see just happening in the forest five miles away from your house? You'll never know that. But it's like if you walked around, that's the quality I'm trying to give. You have no idea what those those things are thinking. You have no idea what's going on, but there's something familiar about it at the same time. I just love the idea of there's this whole unknown world that we live right beside, but we're so it, we're not in tune with it in a way. And, and so it's kind of off-putting because it's like I don't can't relate to it, but I also know what it is. Do you think that there's a connection in a way to exploitation, environmental destruction, oh, like yeah. the history of coal mining towns, mm -hmm. with our that our connection to those mountains and them having this unobtainable or like unrecognized like life of their own that still 
still comes back when those coal mining towns become abandoned. Yeah, when I was when I was young and and still to this day, I've I've always been very obsessed with uh, Studio Ghibli movies and and Hayao Miyazaki, and I I love the idea of kind of this conception of you know in Shintoism, nature itself is is God. Nature you know nature mm-hmm. itself is the unknowable it is like it has a spirit it has an essence of his own and if man moves away from it even after destruction it will win over and it will you know it will kind of create new life of its own with the pre-existing structure that was there and yeah i think there's a lot of that and just just the idea of ghost towns and the the idea of like a lot of memories that happened in a place uh there, there was a, a a term that i really loved uh I used it for one of my shows a couple of years ago. It's called hauntology, and it's basically the the concept of you know like memories, potent, powerful ideas from the past having their stay in the present and how they affect the present. You know, you'll walk into certain places where you can tell like a ton of things have have happened there, but there's nothing happening there. And there, there's that juxtaposition of it, it, it's overwhelming, but also just completely empty at the same time. And that's I think that's kind of where that comes from but also just i like to believe that nature will win out you know even uh, amongst our just you know destruction of things but it's it's kind of hard to feel that way with you know how we've treated the earth all these years do you think that that kind of hauntology and that kind of town has a connection to the idea of liminal spaces remind like me what li- liminal word. spaces means so I, I, liminal, <laughs> this is a good a good lesson a liminal yes. space yeah. it might be good for listeners too okay um is uh in between an in-between space a transitional mm-hmm. space so like oh, right, the right, most right. classic example is like the beach yes is it the space in between the ocean sure and the land sure right yeah and so some people have like a, a, ascribe the quality of a liminal space to different places mm-hmm. kind of based on that that kind of intangible feeling of yeah. like being in between maybe being in between like human habitation and natural habitation sure, or sure. being in between like one kind of reality and another. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So oh in, yeah. In for that sure. Idea, but I'm, then I'm glad I'm relearning what that, that word means. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah I think mm-hmm. that is very pervasive throughout um, what I do. And it's, and, and that's why when people ask me like, what does this mean? I can't, always put my finger on it because you know i might just put on a record that makes me feel a certain way and like evoke the feeling a memory gave me and just let it rip you know and it's 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 so personal not personal and like i don't want you to know this way but it's personal in a way where it's like i just can't explain it but but you know it's kind of hard to like kind of describe my work that way because sometimes it's so practical because i'll just draw a wolf and people will be like okay well that's just like a weird creepy wolf and yeah it can be that (laughs) that's fine (laughs) yeah um so you're a professional artist and you make things we would call creepy and dark kind of artwork. Mm-hmm. Do you run into challenges with like being a professional and saying, I am, I am an artist. That's mm-hmm. what I do. I'm a fine artist. Sure. And making this work um, that isn't necessarily strictly traditional. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, you know, there's so many different terminologies that get lumped onto you, like with contemporary and fine art and all this stuff. You know, I, I love, I love lowbrow. That's my favorite term because I, I think, you know, there's so much haughtiness and per- perceived haughtiness in, in art, you know, what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And I am very much a believer of like, if you're passionate and you make stuff that's, you know, very much your own and not, derivative of some someone else's work that's art like it doesn't matter what functionality it has it doesn't matter how philosophical it is it's like i i i like illustrator more probably i should mm-hmm. probably have said that illustrator is nicer because 
you know, people see that and they're like book illustrations, you know, uh, lithographs, like things like that. And it's like, I, you know, I, I certainly make work that, you know, certain curators would say is fine art. But then I also make stuff that's just, you know, kind of quirky. And mm-hmm. it just depends on, on what mood I'm in. But yeah, I... Uh, I, the la- the label thing. I mean, I know all artists are kind of like this to some degree, but it's I'm an artist, but also like it's just a it's a very blanket term to me. <laughs> that makes sense. I do yeah. I do like the term illustrator because I think yeah. at the same time it helps illustrate for people who aren't necessarily immersed in the art world mm-hmm. that there are so many things that artists do. Yeah, for sure. And you're like, oh, now I can envision that you would use art to do multiple things. Right. Right. Instead yeah. of just it being in a museum and yeah. a picture, you know. When you tell people like, okay, well, what does a day, you know, like an average day look like for you? And it's like, well, it depends on the day, first of all. For me, it's, a, you know, I do a lot of printmaking. I do a lot of answering emails. I do a lot of working with consignment retailers and working with people in the community and hosting events. And then there's art. And it's like that usually only makes up about 20% of what I'm doing most of the time, which is weird because it, like when I first started out professionally, I was single. I lived with my best friend at the time, and like he would be at work, and I would just draw all day, and that's mm-hmm. all I would do, and I would just crank out art after art, and that was kind of one of the reasons I was able to make it is because I was just constantly pushing stuff out there and just seeing what stuck. I was I was making it for myself, but I was also like willing to just have it out in the world and. You know, I know so many people that are far more talented than me that are just like, I don't really want to show this to anyone. Well, that's fine. But also, if you want to make it a livelihood, you kind of have to. It, it, it is uncomfortable. And it is, you are going to feel like senses of rejection on a deep level a lot of the time. And it's like, you got to just weigh that. Is it worth it for you? <laughs> you know, and you, you'll get used to it. But it's, yeah, now now I, I feel like I, I do so many different things that... It, it, it feels like a reprieve when I do actually get to sit down and, like, make something new that I'm proud of, which generally only happens, like, once a month for me now. Like I'll make something and I'm like, oh, yay, this feels different and novel and not redundant of something I've done in the past. So I, I try to make sure, like, I'm never I, – I had a couple years, you know, in the past where, like, I would do stuff and I would be like, okay, this – I could do better than this. This is very like, you know, off the cuff, easy for me. I need to push myself more. And so I, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that now and, and trying to just make sure that what I create, I don't care if anyone else is proud of it. As long as I'm proud of it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I've, I've have definitely met artists who have that um, a piles of work around them. Oh, and yeah. they say, I'm not going to sell this. Sure. Because sure. I'm, I'm not there yet. I do too. I mean, I do too. Yeah, I, well, I do that. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> Except for not the piles of work either. Yeah. But um, what do you have advice maybe for people who feel that way about their artwork or other creative productions where it's like I'm not at a place yet where I want people to be looking at what I'm doing or maybe even just I don't know how to be comfortable with people looking at and paying money. Well, I think I think if you have stuff in the past that you're just never going to be comfortable with people seeing, it's just like, okay, we'll designate that as that. But put yourself in a position where whatever you make in your next step, you, you have the intention of, you know, people are going to see this. Although some people would think that way and then they'd get even more neurotic about it and not put it out there. But, you know, everybody's different. But I think you just have to compartmentalize your work in some ways. A lot of my old work that I don't show to people or I don't, so it just looks completely different. Even if I put it out there, people will be like, you did this? That, that doesn't even look anything like the stuff you do now. And so it just would feel kind of kind of weird. But um, no, I totally empathize with that feeling. I just think you have to 
get to a point if if you want to do it professionally or if you want to make a living out of it you have to get to a point where you're willing to like this is my work this is the type of stuff I do so that people who may want to commission you or people who may want to buy your work have a point of reference so what is your what would you say is like your goal uh-huh. as an artist right now like what do you where do you want to go with your work um uh, more broadly speaking I want to use you know the 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 know-how and the assets I have to to work with people in the community and like do more community-based things because I I'm kind of in a lot of ways I'm synthesizing two of my passions together now like um, when I was in AmeriCorps and after that when I've worked with nonprofits I I get a huge high from community development just getting people together and like networking folks and just feeling like that tangible sense of community outside the internet in the real world. And then, you know, from art, which is my other passion, you know, I just got a high from creating things and putting them out in the world. And so uh, the past couple of years, I've been doing a nocturnal art market series where I've gotten a lot of my friends together and we've just coordinated with breweries where we'll have, uh, you know, six to 12 people set up and, you know, people can come out and drink and like buy local art. And it's been really fun because it's like a lot of times I don't even participate in them. I just curate them. And I just I've just gotten so much out of the feeling of people being like, oh, this person lives in my backyard. Oh, that's awesome. Like, I never would have guessed that. I didn't know that type of art was around here. It's in what we'll talk about later with with Holler House. Like, there's just kind of this feeling of tangibility in community building and just like having events where people like of of like-mindedness can kind of come together and meet each other and like be in a a space together and celebrate the same cultural things that's that's awesome yeah Yeah. and those um where can people go to find out more about the night art markets and what is the next one going to be uh the next one is going to be an event uh that's in coordination with elder brew and ceremonial sound which is a record uh store in downtown bristol you guys should all check out um, it is uh, going to be on 6th Street, uh, right off of State Street. It's called Imminent Collapse, and it will be kind of part nocturnal art market, part music festival, and so it'll be an art and music festival. It'll be uh, October 15th. Uh, there's no fee to get in. It'll just be like a donation-based thing if you want to donate. Um, and it'll be uh, October 15th on Saturday from 3 to 11 p.m. So that's long. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because it's like a it's like a block party. We'll have fifteen local artists, um, and there will be six or no eight bands. I'm sorry, eight bands, uh, four outside and four inside in Elder Brews uh, Brewery area. And so you can just drink on, on on the street and hang out. And costumes are encouraged because it'll be near Halloween. Oh my gosh, that sounds like such a party! I'm glad we're yeah, getting the yeah. word out about that. It'll be kind of like a like a Darth rhythm and roots in a way, Darth like a, a Darth a Darth smaller rhythm and roots. Um, but yeah, you can if you if you go on Facebook or go on Instagram and you just type in imminent collapse, you'll you'll find it instantly. There's an event for it, and that's part of the Neo Appalachian Art Guild. Yeah, which you yeah. Can follow on Instagram as well. Yep, yep. And uh, and then we'll have one like a traditional just art market after that before Christmas at Little animals brewery i think it's december 9th it's on a friday um so that'll be great for like holiday shoppers who want to get local art for their family and friends that that's sounds perfect and where can people go to learn more about you and Uh, look at your artwork you can go to bsurway.com which is just b-s-e-r-w-a-y.com 
my handle is the same on Instagram. Um, I have a TikTok now, regretfully, but uh, (laughs) I'm terrible at like making videos of my art, but I've been trying. Um, And uh, I have Twitter and Facebook. It's all the same, same handle. B-S-E-R-W-A-Y. Yep, you got it. Perfect. Well, you're listening to WEHC 90.7. This has been Art Speaks. This is a production from the William King Museum of Art in Abingdon. And be sure to check out the art museum and come see some free art and check out the Neo-Appalachian Art Guild and Brian Surway's artwork. This is Charlotte signing out. Thank you.